Hey, how you doing? It's Pastor Jay. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. I pray that this word blesses your spirit, empowers you wherever you are, whether it be your home, your workplace, the gym, or even if you're riding in the car. Look, let's advance the kingdom by spreading this word with whoever you come in contact with. That is my ultimate goal is to spread the kingdom and the message of Jesus Christ. I love you. And once again, here's today's message. Be blessed. Put a finger there and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, verse 15 as well. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And when you get there, say, I am healthy or I am wealthy. Say one of the two. And you are healthy, too. Amen. Health is the first wealth. And you all look beautiful today. Just smile at me through your mask. If you can, I can see I can see the smiles in your eyes. I mean, I really can't see much because these lights are in my eyes. But <laughs> I can see I can see the smile in your eyes. Barely, just just got a squint, you know. So, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen. Has everyone had an opportunity to get that? That's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen, and also Mark chapter sixteen, verse fifteen. Mark chapter sixteen, verse fifteen. Everyone there? If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say wait on me. Okay, I'm not saying if you're going to say wait on me, just look at your screen. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says this. It says, now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is this was Jesus commissioning the 12 uh, to go out and to uh, go in his authority and make disciples of all nations. Did it say disciples of the church nation or did it say disciples of all nations? It said the disciples, it said make disciples of all nations, all nations. If you would go to Mark chapter 16 and Mark chapter 16 verse 15, we're going to read this from the New King James Version and the Amplified Classic Version. Mark chapter 16 verse 15. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Is everyone there? If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say wait on me. I'm not going to wait on you because it's on the screen and my time is elapsing really fast. I've already burned two minutes and three minutes. So Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You can follow along on the screen. This is what it says in New King James Version. It's New King James Version. It says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we hear this command. We hear this commission. We hear this statement again from Jesus. Let's read it in the Amplified Classic Version because that opens up some words for us. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news the gospel to every creature of the whole human race and so i want to open up with this first key point which is this which is going to be our basis for this 
how you approach the world with your life will be evident of your relationship with Christ. I'm going to say that again. How you approach the world with your life will be evidence of your relationship with Christ. And so that's our first key point. So I want to start off with this. Everyone sees the world through a filter. Everyone sees the world with, with a filter. And we talked about last week, we talked about how um, your heart posture determines your character. And if your heart posture is wrong, then your character will be wrong. We talked about how whatever is stored up in your heart, it will come out through your mouth. It will come out through your mouth, and it will also come out through your actions. So we talked about that last week. So your filter is usually determined by your heart posture. So, so, so the filter in which I see the world is determined by my, my heart posture. So is my, the question becomes, is my heart posture a posture of love or is my heart posture a posture of fear and hate and a, 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 a posture of um, not truly knowing God? See, a lot of people in church, they, they know a few things about God, but they don't know, they don't truly know God. They know about God, but they don't truly know God. Because when you truly know God, then your whole life will be transformed from the inside out. The scripture says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you are renewed by the transforming of your mind. And transforming your mind is just repenting. What is repenting, Pastor Jay? Repenting is this. Repenting is changing your mind. Changing your mind. It's, see, we always, we, we take words in the Bible and we over-spiritualize it. Over, you must repent and you must be holy. But when we, when we truly understand the word of God, when we truly understand who God is, then we will live a holy life because a holy heart will determine a holy life. When we repent, which is a change of mind, and repent was the first message that Jesus ever preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand, right? And so he was saying, hey, look, change the way you think. See, a lot of times our filter, we're unable to change the way we think, and we have this filter of not loving the people in the world. We have this filter of beating people over the head with the Bible. And God does not want us to beat anyone over the head with the Bible. He wants us to love one another. And so this leads me to my next key point, which is this. Your love should not just be limited to people in the church. Your love should not just be limited to people in the church. See, we think that we come to church and we love the people that are in the church. And then we go out into the world and we look down on other people. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because that's one thing I cannot stand in elitist mindset when you cannot be with all people. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 47. See, your love should be not just, it should just be limited to, to people inside this, these, these four walls. See, love covers a multitude of sins, right? Love, see, see for God so love the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life 
And then verse 17 goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world that the world may be saved. And so if we have this mindset of, well, I go to church and I'm good and I'm all buttoned up and you don't go to church, there's something wrong with you. You know, that's 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 the wrong mindset to have. You know, that's the wrong mindset to have. Let's go to Matthew. So everybody at Matthew chapter five, verse 43 to 47. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say wait on me. I'm not going to wait on you. I hope y'all get the I hope y'all get the the pattern here. Y'all got the pattern. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. Can everybody read that? Can you read it from your vantage point? Good. So this is what it says in the New King James Version It says you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, now this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How many people um, you have that, that curse you? How many people that curse you? Not just curse words. Now, I'm not just talking about French language, right? And I just talking about curse, but I'm talking about people who actually speak curses upon your life. How many of you have people like that? I have people like that. Everybody has people like that. Whether you, whether you think you do or you're not, everybody has people like that. So, the, so Jesus is saying, look, he's saying, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45 says this, that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? So if you only love those people who come to church with you or love your family, what reward do you have for? So it says, do not even the tax, co tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, look, your love should not just be limited to the people in the church. Your love should not just be limited to your family member. Your love should be an unlimited love because his love is unconditional. His love is unlimited. And so sometimes the reason we cannot love the people in the world is because inwardly we have a superiority complex. We have a superiority complex. What is a superiority complex? A superiority complex is this. I'm sitting high. You sitting low, and if you don't know, then that's on you. See, see that superiority mindset, that's that elitist mindset of I can only hang around this type of people. I can only hang around this sect of people. And that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They only hung around with one another. And so when it came to showing mercy and it came to showing love to the unbeliever, they were unable to do that because they were in their own kind of like supremacy, kind of like, um, I don't know what supremacy came, but uh, uh, <laughs> it came, they're in their own superiority complex. See, a superiority complex often masks itself as pride and arrogance. I'm going to say that again. A superiority complex often masks itself as pride and arrogance. Have you ever been around someone that's just so prideful that they can't say, I am sorry, or they can't say, I apologize? Have you ever 
been around someone who is so arrogant that they think they know everything and then you you challenge them on something and you find out they don't really know anything at all. See, that's what a superiority complex is. They, they're filled with, they're puffed up. They're haughty. They're filled with, with pride. They're filled with arrogance. And the scripture says, um, warning comes before destruction, right? And so a superiority complex makes you feel that you are better than those around you. See, everybody has, has gone through a superiority complex either at one point in their life. They, feel like they, they felt like they are better than someone else. And that's what we often do in the church. We'll come in, we'll hear a message, and we'll often say, well, this person needs to be here to hear that message, or this person needs to be here to hear that message. But guess what? You need to be here to hear that message as well. And so we don't, we don't need to, to we, we often have this, this way of kind of putting off what we need to hear for some, what someone else needs to hear. See, that's when you're operating out of superiority complex. See, we will never be able to advance the kingdom of God with this type of mindset. Because if you think you are better than your neighbor, then you will never be able to say, let me love my neighbor as I love myself. Because you're too focused on who you think you are instead of who God is. See, see, a lot of times a superiority complex will put you before God because you feel like, well, they should do this for me, they should do that for me, and it's all about me. And what have you done for me lately? But God wants us to move past the what have you done for me lately revelation to a, how can I bless my neighbor? How can I love my neighbor? How can I do good to those who have despitefully used me? How can I bless those who have cursed me? How can I love my enemies? See, it, it, it takes a strong person to love their enemies. See, see, that's not just something that just comes like that. It, it takes a strong person to love their enemies. It takes a strong person to to bless those that despitefully use them. It, it takes a strong person to do that. And how do you get that strength? You get that strength through Christ. You get that strength through Christ. And so God wants to revolutionize our life so that we can truly advance the kingdom of God. He just doesn't want to see church coming. The church is phenomenal. It's coming. It's great. But God wants us to be the church outside of these four walls as well. And so when we have a superiority complex, we miss out on reaching those that God has placed in our life. And so let me say this. If we're going to truly advance the kingdom of God, it will take an approach of humility and focus on the king. So you remember in week one, we talked about how advancing the kingdom of God is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's, it's, it's bigger than we. And so that means that we have to come together as a family. We have to come together as one so that we can truly advance the kingdom of God. See, when you operate from humility, you operate from your true, authentic self. When you operate from, from, from humility, you operate from your true, authentic self. And people are drawn to authenticity. People are drawn to, see, see, when you are authentic, when you're your true, authentic self, people are drawn to that. And so when people are drawn to that, they're like, wow, that is just something about them that's different. What, what is it about them that's different? They're operating from their authentic self. See, the Apostle Paul was an example of this selfless humility because of how he truly desired to advance the kingdom of God. So Paul was an example of someone who truly advanced the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you a little backstory on Paul. Paul's first name was Saul, right? And Saul was a killer. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians, right? 
And so he, he, was, he was persecuting the people of the church. But Christ came in his life and transformed his whole life. And so Paul is an example of humility of truly advancing the kingdom of God. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And this is going to, this is Paul talking. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. So this is him talking to the Corinthian church here. And this is what he says. Everyone there? If not, look at the screen. I know I'm moving kind of fast. My time moving, y'all. I only got like 24 minutes left. 24 minutes left. Can I get another, can I get another 40 minutes? Yeah, another 40 minutes on the, on the time of big day. So this is what it says in verse 19. It says, now, even though I am free from obligation to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. Did you hear what Paul said in that first verse? He says, now, even though I am free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all. In order to win as many converts as possible. Let me ask you this. How many of you have made yourself a servant to someone in the last 30 days? How, how many of you had it, it won a lot of amens there? It was like a amen. I don't know if I have or not. Let me think about it. I don't know. Verse 20 says this. I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain the people who were stuck under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. And to those who are without the Jewish laws, I became like them as one without the Jewish laws in order to win them. Although I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I became weak to the weak to win the weak. I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul was saying here, look, I transverse cultures in order to win those to Christ. See, if you're going to truly advance the kingdom of God, you cannot just go to people who look like you. You have to transverse the culture. What is transverse? You have to go beyond your normal culture in order to win souls for Christ. See, God did not just call a white church, a black church, a Hispanic church, uh, 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 an Asian church, he called he called his church, capital C church. And so God is not a respecter person. So the scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it's really connecting with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. Because Jesus told the original apostles to go into the whole world. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's going into the whole world. He's adapting to the culture. He became weak. So he could win the weak. He became Jewish so he could win the Jewish. He, he, he became who God truly wanted him to become. And see, when you know who you are, then you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not intimidated by another culture. See, when you know who God created you to be, you're not intimidated by another culture. You can fit in another culture. and You can help bring those to Christ. See, God wants to help us adapt so that we can bring those to Christ. See, Paul was using 
what we call in psychology today limbic synchrony, or in the other words, mirroring. I'm going to say that again. You're like, what? What? Psychology? Okay, look. Pastor Jay graduated from Xavier, the great Xavier University of Louisiana, 2013. I graduated with a degree in psychology, right? So I know a lot of, a lot of psychological things because I love how the mind works, right? So Paul was using, he, he was using, the official term is limbic synchrony. Limbic synchrony. Let me break it down for you. It's called mirroring, right? So what is mirroring? Mirroring is this. Mirroring body language is a nonverbal way to show empathy. It signals that we are connected to that person in some way, right? So when you, have you ever noticed that, or maybe you've never noticed that when you're sitting at lunch with someone and you kind of mimic their body language, right? If their arms are crossed, then you cross your arms. If their legs are crossed, then you cross your legs. Have you, has anybody ever noticed that? Okay, well, that's called mirroring. That's called mirroring, right? So a set of specific nerve cells in the brain called mirror neurons are responsible for mirroring. So have you ever noticed that when you're holding a baby, right, or when you make a face, they'll make a face back at you? That's because they're using mirror neurons in their brain, right? So mirroring is also a sign of trust. Mirroring is a sign of trust. So the whole point of mirroring is that it's a way to better understand others and connect with them. So when you mirror somebody, you're saying, look, I'm showing you empathy. I'm showing that there's trust here. I'm showing that I can connect with you. This is what Paul was doing. Paul was just mirroring the culture so that people could feel the trust that he was giving, feel the trust. They could feel the empathy that he was displaying. And so God wants us to, to operate in what he, see, see, God created these mirror neurons in our brain. And so God created that for a specific reason. And so this leads me to my next key point, which is this. When your approach is a reproach, you push people away. When your approach is a reproach, you push people away. I see a lot of times in church, we have this elitist um, superiority complex. And instead of bringing people to Christ, we are pushing people further away from Christ because our life is not evident of our words. We say we love God. We say we love Christ. We say we go to church. But still then, we don't really have a life that mirrors what we say. Because out of the abundance, the superabundance of your heart, your mouth has to speak. So even if you say one thing, but your actions don't line up with that one thing, then you're really just you're just really talking air. You're just really talking just to be talking, just really making a lot of noise, like sounding symbols, right? And so love, see, when you truly love people, then you don't you don't come to you don't come to them as sounding symbols. And so when your approach is filled with love, you draw people to Christ. When your approach is filled with love, you draw people to Christ. See, God is wanting us to draw people to him. He doesn't want us to push people away. And a lot of times in church, we do that because we are filled with pride. We feel with arrogance and we hadn't allowed God to come into our heart and to clear those areas in our life. And so we're still filled with pride. We're still filled with arrogance. And we're wondering, well, God, why aren't we seeing 
the harvest. God, why aren't we seeing the lives changed? Because your life has not been changed. You see, when your life becomes changed, see, when your life is filled with grace, then you can allow that grace that your life is filled with for others' life to be filled with as well. See, God wants us to partner with him in bringing souls to the kingdom. So did you hear Paul? Paul said this in the last verse. He said, I've done all this so that I could become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. So God wants to partner with us. God wants us to partner with him so that we can bring souls to Christ. See, God does not want us to beat people over the head with the scripture or to use the scripture as an advantage over them. How many of you have ever done that? You're probably going to say, no, I've never beat somebody over the head with the Bible. We've all done that. We've all done that. Well, you didn't do this like this and you are wrong according to the scripture. You think that's going to really draw people to Christ? You think that's really going to advance the kingdom of God? It's not. And so we have to change our approach. And when we change our approach to an approach of love, then we can truly advance the kingdom of God. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 20. Did I skip? Did I skip the scripture? No, I skipped the scripture. It's on there, okay. Okay, there we go. There we go. So follow along on the screen because my time is winding down. So this is what it says. It says, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And so, thank you, Holy Spirit. And so, a lot of times in church, see, we understand how to do church, but we don't understand how to be the church. See, we understand how to, how to dress for church. We understand how to be on time for church. We understand how to raise our hands and worship. We understand how to do church, but do we really understand how to be the church? See, when you are the church, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the living God. And if God is love and God lives within you, he teaches you how to be the church. He teaches you how to be love outside of these four walls. And so listen to this. It is by design that God places you in certain places. It's by design. It's by design. And so God has blessed some of you with, with an entrepreneurship anointing. He's blessed some of you with a business anointing. And so everybody doesn't have the gift of necessarily preaching in a pulpit, but guess what? Your life preaches every day. So are you preaching the gospel or are you preaching are you are you are you are you are you preaching are you are you teaching the gospel with your life, the good news with your life? Are you teaching love with your life? Because everyone has influence. See, your influence is not just in the church. Your influence is in the marketplace also. Your influence is in the marketplace also. I'm not, I'm not just talking about, like, grocery stores. I'm talking about your job. I'm talking about your business. I'm talking about um, wherever you may go. 
your influence is not just here. It's not just in these four walls. Your influence is outside of these four walls. So your prayer should be this daily. What should your prayer be daily? It should be this. God, show me someone you want me to minister to today. And we, when we hear this word minister, right, we always think, well, I got to come with five points and I got to come with all this scripture and I got to come with A, B, C, D, just like Pastor Jay does it. No, you don't. How you minister to someone one day can be two words. Don't settle. It can, it can, you can minister to them by your life. You can say, well, they can say, wow, this person truly lives a life after God's heart. So let's, let me show you how your influence is not just in the church with a story with, about Jesus. Let's go to John chapter 4, verses 3 through 30. Yeah, that's a lot of scriptures. John chapter 4, verse 3 through 30. I'm going to try to get through this as, as quickly as I can. John chapter 4, verse 3 through 30. And you can follow along on the screen. And just give you a little context. Uh, I want you to go back home. I want you to read the whole thing when you go back home because we're going to have to skip some verses. But I want you to go back home and, and read this story for yourself because it has some great principles in it of how Jesus was not only focused on preaching in the temple. He, his life was an example outside of the temple. So verse 3 says this. He says, he, so, so let me give you a, a, few, a little bit of context. So one, verse 1 and 2 talks about how um, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Well, actually it says that in verse 4. But it just talks about, just go back, just go home. That's going to be your homework this week. Go home, read John chapter 4, the whole chapter, right? Whole thing, whole thing. And so normally, let me give you a little back, background. Normally, they did not go through Samaria. In, this, in, the fir- in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was commissioning the disciples to, um, to go into all the world, he told them, don't go into Samaria, right? So there was clearly a division there. Right. But Samaria was right between, I would think, I think Jerusalem and Judea. I think they were it was right in the middle. And so this is what verse three says. It says he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So actually Galilee and Judea, they were right. So Samaria was in between those two. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, not the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Then the mother, then the woman, mother really, then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So there was a there was a, a difference in culture there. He was Jewish. She was Samaritan. He was a man. She was a woman. Right. He was he was God in human flesh. She was a woman. Right. And so there was there was clearly some divide there right it's clearly some divide there so verse 10 says this Jesus answered and said to her 
if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is right here ministering to this Samaritan woman, even though there's a difference in culture here. There's a split between culture. Jesus is ministering to her. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So the woman here is like, okay, there's there's clearly some ignorance here, right? She doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. So there's clearly a divide in her understanding. But Jesus continues along, right? He continues along. And she says this in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He was talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I should give him will never thirst. But the water that I should give him will, bec- will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well, you have well said, I have no husband. See, Jesus did not condemn her here. See, a lot of times when we find out something about somebody, we often condemn them instead of loving them. See, Jesus was operating in love. So he didn't condemn, hey, you go get your husband and bring him here right now. And you lie, you don't have no, that, that wasn't his approach. That wasn't his approach. And so verse, verse, verse 18 says this, and this is Jesus talking. For you had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And we're getting ready to some a kicker here. Y'all going to be like, that scripture sounds familiar. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Scripture sound familiar? That's us. That's what we found it on. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? See, see sometimes the disciples was like bodyguards. It was like. One time, um, just give you just a little side story, right? One time, some people brought some kids to Jesus, and the disciples were like, nah, 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 you, you cannot bring your kids to Jesus. And Jesus was like, really? Really? So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But sometimes they, was, they were kind of like bodyguards. So verse 28 says this, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, 
see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And so look, so Jesus' approach here not only got the Samaritan woman, but it also got the people in the city as well. See, your approach will not only get the person that you are talking to, it will get the pers- the people that are connected to them as well. And so when you have an approach of love and you don't you don't say, well, you should know the Bible, you should know the scripture, I'm going to beat you over the head with the Bible. When you have an approach of love, then you not only affect that person, but you affect everyone that they are connected to. So God is calling us to not just affect one, but to affect many by one. Verse verse 39. Let's go to verse 39 through 42. And we're going to give you three points. I'm almost finished. I got about four minutes and 39, 38, 37, 36, 35 seconds left. All right. And it says this in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of this of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So here, here let's break this down. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, right? So that city, so city, city denotes multiple people, right? So God has called us to affect cities. He's called you to, he's called you to, affect, to influence cities. He's called you to affect many people. And so verse 40 says this, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so how Jesus approached the Samaritan woman, he was Jewish, right? How, he's, how he approached her affected many. How you approach people when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God will affect many people. So it will affect people in, a, in either a positive way, like here in this Samaritan store. It will affect people in a negative way. They'll say, well, I thought that person was saved, and I thought that person was this, and I thought that person was that. See, your life is being watched every day. People are watching you every day. People are watching you on social media. They're watching you at your jobs. They're watching you in, your, in the marketplace. They're watching how you're going to respond. They're watching how you're going to react to certain things. And so God has given us a great privilege to really make disciples of all nations based on how we live our life. And so we can learn from Christ's example of how to effectively reach those in the marketplace. So these were Christ's instructions. Number one. It was this. His instructions were progressive. They were progressive. What do you mean by that? So, I mean this. The Samaritan woman's first impression of Jesus was that he was a Jew, right? Next, she wanted to compare him with Jacob. So, she, she wanted to, she thought, he, she was like, okay, you a Jew. And then she wanted to compare him with Jacob. Next, she wanted to compare him as a prophet. And lastly, she recognized him as the Messiah, and guess what this took on Jesus' behalf? It took him being patient because we need patience in the marketplace. See, not everyone is going to know the scripture from A to Z. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. See, we have to allow people to progress through 
their belief. We have to allow people to progress and learn and re unlearn some things and relearn some things. See, you can learn something every day. When you stop learning, you stop growing. You become stagnant. And so God does not want us to become stagnant. He wants, he wants our relationship with him to be progressive. See, how many of you all can say that where you are now is not where you were five years when it comes to your spiritual life? We're in a totally different place because God allows that progression to happen. See, see, we should allow that progression to happen. See, we, we always say this. We always say when we're progressing, right, that, that God is working on me and, and God's not finished with me yet. But then when it comes to somebody else, we become so impatient that they're not progressing. Well, why aren't you progressing? Well, why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? And God had the guy to call me on a rug on that because, as you all know, I, I love. So, so, so a part of me, I love investment, right? So investing, not just, not just financial investing. I love mental investing. I love emotional investing. I love relational investing, spiritual investing, right? And so my investment is not just financially but my, my, my investments come from other areas in my life as well. And so I love to learn. Not everybody has that, not everybody has that drive to want to read a book a week. Not everybody, <laughs> you said that really fast. No, not me, not me. Mm, mm. Not everybody has that drive. And God had to say, look, how you progress and how they progress, it's okay. You don't have to put pressure on them to progress how you progress because they are unique from who you are. They are different from who you are, and they are going through a different, they're going, they're going through different experiences than you are. And so we have to be the same way. We have to allow patience. We have to allow that same patience that God has given us. We have to allow that same grace that God has given us for others to flow in that grace as well. And so God, God sent his son, Christ. And the instructions were, number one, progressive. The, the next one was it, it was effective. It was progressive first, and then it was effective. How was it effective? Christ touched the conscience of the Samaritan woman, awakened her thirst for God, and gave himself for his satisfaction. And so it was effective. It was effective because it not only affected her, it affected those that were connected to her. And so when you allow people to grow, when you allow people to um, be filled with love because you are filled with love and you're filled with grace, then that's when your life becomes effective. And lastly, it was this. It was practical. It was practical. So number one, it was progressive. Number two, it was effective. And lastly, it was practical. And, and if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we need practical steps to help minister to those we minister to. So number one, progressive. Number two, effective. Lastly, it was practical. So we need practical steps. See, people need practical practical solutions. We don't need we don't need to we don't we. I believe God is calling us to move past the the dance 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 solution. He's calling us for practical solutions. How can we live life practically? How can, we, how can we follow the word of God practically? See, following the word of God is not hard. But sometimes we make it hard in the church because we give all these steps. You got to go to A, B, C. You got to do Z twice. And you got to come back to C. And all you got to do is repent. And what is repent? Repentance is just changing your mind. Amen.
Amen. Let's look from God in prayer. God, we we love you. We thank you. We honor you for who you are. We pray, Lord God, that <laughs> that we will follow your instructions, Lord God, to be progressive, Lord God, to be effective and to be practical, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that you allow us to repent, Lord God, to change our mind. Lord God, change from what we used to be into who you created us to be. So, God, we thank you that our, our hearts have been enriched, Lord God, that our lives have been empowered, Lord God, and that our, our approach has changed, that we will have an approach of love, that we will have an approach of kindness, because that's how you've drawn us with love and kindness. So, God, we love you. We thank you. We honor you for this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.